Hi, listeners. You can now listen to this community podcast production ad-free on Apple Podcasts. Simply hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Now, I'm no Shakespearean thespian, so forgive me as I butcher this quote, which I stumbled upon in Judge Crosby's sentencing notes of Barry Clue in July 2020. It goes, Oh, what a tangled web we weave, when at first we start to deceive. In this episode, we untangle one of Barry Clue's most intricately and despicably spun webs. I'm Sarah Ferris, and you're listening to Clueless, The Long Con. A shadow dark upon the wall Moving slow and stretching tall And up to the mountains her gaze is pulled I think the thing with this case that makes it stand out is that he did form, or did seem to form, very close personal relationships with a lot of the investors. And I know you're going to speak to a Mrs Church. I mean, that story is horrific. I'm Karen and I am the former wife of Chris. Chris passed away in 2019. We were together for 15 years before Chris died. We both found a pretty special love. We actually did incredibly well raising eight children. Chris had four biological children and then I had two biological and two foster children. All eight of our kids are incredible young adults. Of the 12 charges that Barry Clue pled guilty to, charge number 12 related just to the fraud of Karen and Chris Churcher. Now, to put that in perspective, keep in mind there are 81 victims in the case. So to have one of the 12 charges relate to only two victims, well, Barry had to have done something different, something bespoke. Because when it comes to cons, one size doesn't fit all. So let me set the scene for you and tell you a bit about who Barry chose for this tailor-made con. Karen was one of those people that knew exactly what she wanted to do in life from the moment she started work as an early childhood educator. But Chris, he was a bit of a late bloomer. When he and I first met, he was studying IT. He'd been a butcher before that, and so he'd had quite a career change in his 30s, and he went on and became a general manager of an IT company. With that transition from butcher to general manager of an IT company, Chris also had a fatter pay packet each month. 
his boss had said, now that you are all in these roles, you need to be taking out insurances to protect your family if anything happens. At this stage, 2015, we still would have had at least two, if not three children at home. We probably were just coming into that stage of life where we were getting a bit more financial independence. But we weren't in a position where we were looking to be investing. And so it is that in 2015, Chris and Karen, in search of insurance advice, find themselves in Barry Clue's crosshairs. We were invited to a a dinner, actually, through Breathe Financial, which was Barry's company at the time. And Chris and I met with Barry after that. Barry advised Chris that he needed to be taking out insurance that would cover approximately five years, roughly, of Chris's salary. I kind of remember it being really awkward, and I actually remember being really upset at the time. And like Chris wasn't unwell, but I just remember being really upset about how vulnerable you are when you think about losing somebody you love. And I think I remember crying and just saying, oh, no, I didn't even want to discuss it. Well, if that isn't the definition of foreshadowing, then I don't know what is. Or actually, maybe it's this. I don't remember feeling particularly sceptical of anything. I mean, he was a wee bit flashy, to be honest. Like, he wore quite expensive suits and shoes and stuff. But I suppose my perception of him was probably a bit different than other people's because he didn't have any of our money. He just actually had an insurance policy. There wasn't anything for him to be gained. Well, nothing to be gained yet, as Barry is sitting back and watching the sands tick through the hourglass of life. But I want to just draw your attention to that statement about Barry being a bit flashy. Turns out he was about as subtle as a sledgehammer. Here's reporter Hamish McNally. He would pull up in the outside these relatively humble homes at times in his um, latest Mercedes or latest BMW, which was all leased. But people don't know who owns the cars or if you haven't paid for anything like that or the fact that they're paying for this thing. Forensic psychiatrist Dr Shaham Das told us about the traits of a con artist. Now, the first one, quite obviously, is greed. But not every greedy person is a fraudster. So what other behaviours might you want to tick off on your con artist bingo card? The other thing is narcissism. is, mm-hmm. And that's not quite the same as greed. But I think a lot of the people, and possibly this Barry Clue, they project this image. I think we all project images of ourselves. But there's something about them where they feel that they need to keep up this image Uh, that they've kind of cultivated. So I guess what I'm saying is more than the average person, they need to be the cool guy with the cool car that, you know, looks, that has this kind of lifestyle. I think a lot of people, you know, fantasize about those kind of things, but we have these ethical boundaries. You know, the average person wouldn't kill or steal to get those things or con, whereas I think con artists have a deep sense of uh, narcissism and all narcissism comes from insecurity which suggests that possibly at some point something happened to make them feel insecure whether that was you know parents who didn't give them love or support or whether it's Mm -hmm. them being bullied or sidelined at work or you know they enter a job where they feel that their tasks or their role is inferior to to their intelligence or education it's different for different people but usually there's something that causes an inferiority complex and that causes narcissism So the flashy cars, expensive suits and crocodile skin shoes might have you yelling bingo. Certainly it all tracks with what we know of Barry Clue. And I think narcissism is a word that we might be familiar with. But for those of us who aren't forensic psychiatrists, myself included, what does that actually mean? It's about being the the centre of attention and only wanting other people to love you. 
So narcissistic people, including people with narcissistic personality disorder, which is actually a psychiatric diagnosis, they um, only care about themselves. So they're the kind of people that you, I'm sure we've all met people like this, who will constantly talk about themselves, never ask you a question about yourself, sort of indifferent to other people, even people that they're potentially in relationships with or even family members. They love praise. They kind of set up situations where they're the centre of attention. They constantly question either directly or indirectly, their worth to other people. So if there's any situation, the kind of questions they would ask or the kind of conversations they would start would be, how did I look or how did I come across in that rather than, you know, Mm -hmm. how are the other people feeling? And they take criticism really badly. So they either completely dismiss it as in this person doesn't know what they're talking about or they become abnormally upset uh, and they focus way too much on criticism than is healthy. I wonder how many of you are listening and having that light bulb moment realising that you know someone who fits just that description. But no time to ponder on that now. Let's dive back into Karen's story. Both Chris and I had been young parents by the time we were 25. We were very entrenched in parenting. So we hadn't done any of that kind of travelling while we were younger stuff and that had been a goal that we thought we would do. The plan was that we would go to Europe for our hundredth which would mean he'd be 51 and I'd be 49. So for his 40th birthday, I gave him some money, which we started saving. So we had that savings going on and we had a superannuation scheme that both he and I put together. There wasn't any other money. Karen and Chris spent the next few years paying their insurance premiums, paying into their superannuation and squirrelling away birthday money, Christmas money and any spare cents they had to put into their dream holiday fund. The superannuation would mean a comfortable retirement, which seemed, you know, a long way off whilst they were working through their 40s. But they had that trip of a lifetime to look forward to in the not too distant future. It was so tangible. And their 50s, well, they were a mere few years away. So it was easy to focus on living modestly in the next few years, knowing that they could start their 50s with an extraordinary bang. But you know what they say about best laid plans. In November of 2016, Chris's mum passed away and it just actually was really hard going. It was a real shift for both of us. We felt the loss of her. It was a really crappy time. Chris's parents, they were religious ministers. His father had been very high up in the Presbyterian Church and they had worked very hard and lived a pleasant life but never been extravagant or anything like that and their legacy to their three children would have been incredibly important to them. So along with the superannuation and the dream holiday fund they now had inherited the fruits of a lifetime of work that would benefit their children and in time their grandchildren. A proper legacy that they hoped each generation would be able to build on. Her estate was finalised and we got a lump sum payment and so Chris and I had decided that what we were going to do with that was that we would eventually buy a new home. So with the inheritance in hand they could now seriously start looking at their dream retirement property. They had their eye on retiring at the beautiful lakeside central Otago town of Wanaka. Sure they were a way off retirement age but being that Wanaka is a favourite holiday destination they had a plan to buy the retirement home now and rent it out until the time was right. Things were coming together nicely. But the excitement of planning the future was about to get upended. 
in about the March, Chris started becoming unwell, not seriously unwell. We thought it was sinus issues. In August 2017, Chris was diagnosed with esophageal cancer after we'd gone for what we thought was a scoping surgery for a stomach ulcer. It, it looked like he had a relatively fair prognosis. It was a relatively big tumour. It was in a place that wasn't great. We had a pretty stressful few weeks while we went some testing to see whether there was any spread and it appeared that there wasn't any spread. Chris and Karen were relieved with the news that the cancer hadn't appeared to spread and relieved that Chris's boss had encouraged them to plan for just such an event a few years earlier. On about the 20th of August, Chris emailed Barry and asked him whether he was the contact the trauma policy, which we had taken out. This was just a trauma policy, so that if you got a cancer diagnosis, then you would get paid out some money. And Barry replied and said, yeah, that he was on it and that he would sort that for him. And it was another thing that Chris didn't need to worry about. Actually, with Barry involved, it would be more accurate to say it was one more thing to worry about. Something that Karen and Chris were completely oblivious to, and understandably, at that time they had bigger fish to fry. Because although the prognosis was fair, it didn't mean Chris's path to recovery was going to be easy. His employees were very good at giving him time when he needed to be very unwell with the chemo. The chemo that he had prior to his surgery was incredibly aggressive. But he would just go and have it and then he'd be sick for five days and then he'd just get up and get on with life. Chris's trauma policy paid out just over $100,000. Money that could have been used to support Chris taking time off during his treatment and recovery. Chris loved his job and he chose to work through the chemo. So that pot of money, well, let's just park it to the side at the moment because Chris still had a large hoop yet to jump through. It was a 13-hour operation. There was a risk that he wouldn't make it. But he'd worked very hard to be well enough to have that operation after the aggressive chemo. And he actually came through it like a complete star. We had Christmas and he healed and Chris went back to work really quickly. Like he probably should have taken a wee bit more time off, but he was very passionate about his work. I think Chris and Barry met prior to his surgery so that Chris could make sure that everything was in place. His surgery was big. Life had been in a limbo of sorts with Chris's treatment taking centre stage. But now, out the other side of it, Karen and Chris were just about ready to come up for air. Over that time, the inheritance from Chris's parents and that $100,000 from the trauma policy payout had sat languishing, forgotten about in their bank account. But there was one person who hadn't forgotten. If you're enjoying Clueless The Long Con, then check out other podcasts by Community Podcast Productions, like this one. On the morning of August 1st, 1966... Shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery 
and I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. It's the end of 2017, and Chris and Karen Churcher had had quite the 12 months starting with the loss of Chris's mother, followed by rounds of gruelling chemo and bookended by a 13-hour surgery to remove Chris's large esophageal cancer, which by all accounts had been a success. And somewhere in the middle of that poop sandwich, Chris had received his trauma policy payout. Now, what I hadn't mentioned earlier was that part of that payout included a couple of thousand dollars towards getting investment advice. No prizes for guessing who was on that assignment like white on rice. Barry said to us at the time that he could provide that investment advice. And in hindsight, I do wonder why the insurance company didn't make that part of their policy that it was actually that it should have been someone who was independent. In theory, Barry was the owner of that insurance. By now, you'll probably have worked out that Barry wasn't going to bow out gracefully because of all things ethics. And don't forget, it was Barry who had set them up with a policy that had provided peace of mind at one of the most stressful points in their life to date. Chris was grateful to Barry. Here's stuff reporter Hamish McNally. So when he said, well, how about you invest the money in me? Like, why wouldn't you trust a guy who did something like that, right? So they naturally followed the person that they thought they could trust. And that's how he screwed people. He absolutely screwed people. Barry then came back to us with what appeared to be a really sensible, realistic, wasn't a high investment or anything. He did this whole assessment online. Chris was much more of a risk taker than I. Chris was probably a 75% risk taker. I was probably like a 10% no risk taker, like buried in the mattress kind of gal. And it came back with a very middle of the road plan. A plan that Barry assured them would give them more control than if they just left their money in the bank. So Barry took the trauma policy, which we didn't spend. He took the inheritance from Chris's parents. He also took our combined superannuation that we've been saving since we've been together and also the money that we've been saving to go to Europe for our 100th. We invested that all with Barry. It was about $381,000. Did you get that? $381,000 for a man who was tasked with giving investment advice on a trauma payout. And this time, 
I don't even have to imagine what was going through Barry's head as the ink dried on the paperwork that day, because in the judge's sentencing notes, the judge cites statements that Barry made in the restorative justice conferences with some of his 81 victims. According to the judge, Barry said he felt a feeling similar to triumph when he drove away from homes with new investments. Let's just sit with that word for a minute. Triumph. I mean, it's utterly incomprehensible that he leaves with a sense of triumph. And Karen and Chris are none the wiser. Here's Dr. Das's take. In this specific case of Barry, you just wouldn't suspect it. You know, I wouldn't suspect it. I do actually have a financial advisor and it's, this conversation is scaring me. If I had a scheme that I had with somebody for 15 years and it seemed to be fine, then I probably would go with them to invest the money really because it's easier to go with somebody that you know and have no suspicions of than having to go through the whole process of finding somebody else. So I actually yeah. think this it's scarily difficult to pick out somebody like this particular man. By the way, I'm pretty sure that Dr. Das's financial advisor got a call very soon after our chat that day. Now, if Barry was a poker player, his hand was now stacked with Karen and Chris's trauma payout, the inheritance, their superannuation, and of course, their dream trip of a lifetime fund. He was holding the equivalent of two pair, a solid enough hand. But Barry, well, he's a full house kind of a guy. Barry stayed in touch. He had quite a bit to do with Chris over his treatment. Didn't have so much to do with me, but even at some stage came up and bought him some books, you know, inspirational thoughts. Perhaps he'd been reading them himself. So after months of being rinsed and repeated by the brutal chemo cycle and surgery behind him, Chris is rearing to get back to the normal rhythm of life. And armed with some fresh inspirational quotes, he heads back to work. And he was working on a really big project in Australia, which had been his baby for a long time. And in the March, he went to Australia and he came back and he was tired and he said, my back hurts. And I'm like, ah, oh, oh yeah, that's not good. And so we went and saw the surgeon and the surgeon said, it's not unusual in esophagectomies to have back pain because, you know, they're moving the ribs. If you have ever been one of the one and two that gets cancer in their lifetime and you are lucky enough to come out the other side of surgery and treatment with a no evidence of disease prognosis, otherwise known as NED in the UK at least, it's usually at that point those outside the cancer club interpret NED as cancer free. But in reality, NED is more accurately translated as we can't see anything sinister the moment. Now, I know this because I fell on the wrong side of those stats myself a few years back. And for those of us with membership to the club that nobody wants to join, the new reality is that every little niggle, every ache and pain that previously warranted a take two and call me in the morning will forever be, well, it's probably nothing, but to err on the side of caution, let's just get that scanned. And so it was that when Chris found himself having an x-ray, for what presented as back pain. It was part of Chris's new normal. In the May, I was working on a Thursday, I think, before Mother's Day, and we got called to the oncologist. We had an early appointment, like 8.30, and I was still daycaring, and I sent my daycare children in to back up just for a couple of hours, and Chris had just told everybody that he'd be late into work, and we just kind of went off to see the oncologist, and he then told us it was back, and it was... It was, we were both completely blindsided. 
and which was silly in hindsight because when we looked at the stats, the stats for esophageal cancer aren't great. But, you know, you live with hope, don't you? You live with a bit of faith. He and I kind of hankered down for the weekend. I remember Mother's Day. We had to see all the children and we had to pretend that everything was okay because we couldn't tell them. Because we didn't, we didn't know how to tell them. I mean, how do you tell your children that, you know, this is, this is it? To the outside world, Karen and Chris were bobbling along as normal. But inside their bubble of two, they were wading through what must have felt like quicksand. We met with Chris Jackson, who is a really good oncologist. Chris told us that my Chris's prognosis wasn't good, that he had one to two years and that it was stage four. At around that time, we told the kids. I remember Chris saying to Chris Jackson that he would not be defined by anybody else's numbers, that actually he was kind of who he was, sorry, and that actually nobody would tell him what his what his date would be. He was so brave, and he went at it, guns and all. He wanted to fight, and he wanted to live as much as he could, whatever lay ahead. And he had radiation, and he went back into chemo like a bloody hero. Maybe that's why they call it doing rounds of chemo, because Chris, after just a few short months of respite, was back in the ring for the fight of his life. Some days he and I would sit in the kitchen and we would cry (laughs) because we knew what was coming and we'd sit together and we'd talk about it and then we'd both fold up the paper. We always got the ODT and we'd read it together and then we'd both get up and we'd put on our, this is our life and we'd go to work. So Even though Chris had that money from the trauma policy payout, he didn't want to give up his work for two reasons. The first being that Chris was very much focused on leaving a legacy for Karen and their eight children. And that trauma payout was a significant part of that legacy. And secondly, Chris loved his job like he properly loved his job. Where he worked was a really big part of him. That kind of was what he wanted to do. He had such a short time in the whole scheme of things that I wish that he had just taken the money and gone and lived. You know, I would have done anything he wanted to have done. I remember one day him saying to me, I don't feel like going to work. I just want to take the boat. We had a boat at the time. I want to take the boat out and go out to the sea. And I said, well, go. And he said, I can't. I've got work. And I said, what are they going to do? I said, are they going to fire you? I said, you're allowed a sick day. I said, if you're allowed a mental health day, they won't care. Take the boat and then I'll go. Go out into the water and actually just be where you want to be. And he didn't do it often. Karen can't remember exactly when it happened, but she does know sometime in the middle of this turmoil, Chris bumped in to Barry. Chris told Barry that the cancer had returned and that he didn't have long. Chris said to Barry, could he come up and explain the money that we had? He came up and he talked to us about the 300 and something thousand dollars. Part of why we had invested with him in the first place was that that was to be a weekly kind of allowance. So say when we got to 60, then maybe we could both cut back work a wee bit and we'd get like between two to $500 a week as a top-up payment rather than both needing to work as much. Barry went over it with Chris and I and talked about how there was enough money for us to buy a new house. 
and to look at spending about 200k on a new home, which we actually did look at buying another house. Of the $381,000, Chris knew that Karen would have enough to live on with the allowance top up and they could still withdraw $200,000 from the investment portfolio to purchase a new home. In fact, that was what they had earmarked the inheritance money for. But that plan had been upended when Chris was initially diagnosed with cancer. Now, more than ever, Chris wanted to be part of the process of setting up Karen's future in the house that they had dreamed of. And if Barry was sweating bullets at the thought of having to find $200,000 from the Ponzi scheme, he certainly gave nothing away on the surface. At the time, Chris was having chemotherapy and we were looking at new homes. And I said to him after some very stressful weekends that either we needed to not be looking at buying a new home and doing the chemotherapy, that we actually couldn't do both because it was too hard, like it was exhausting. And so we actually both made the decision that actually the chemotherapy gave us hope that maybe we might get longer. And so we elected to keep doing the chemotherapy. It was yet another heartbreaking decision for Chris. Buying a house, well, it's a big life decision and one that he knew Karen would now be doing on her own after he was gone. He did, however, take solace knowing that when the time did come, Karen would have the funds in the portfolio to do so. So... Not all was lost. And as for Barry Clue, the cat with nine lives, he must have been awash with relief. I imagine that very same day he was flicking through his many books of inspirational quotes and stumbled upon this inspiring gem. One man's loss is another man's gain. Now it just so happens at the same time that Karen and Chris let him know that they are no longer able to continue their house search... Barry decides the time is right to put an offer in on a house for himself. And not just any house. Barry has his sights set on the premier house in Dunedin, second only to the city's and possibly the whole of the South Island's only castle. And the deposit needed for said purchase? Around the $200,000 mark. Coincidence? Well, it could be. I'll leave that for you to decide. But talking of houses... Barry was ready to get his full house. It was time to revisit Chris's life insurance policy. When he sat here, and he sat not actually that far away from where I'm sitting right now, he said to Chris that part of what he could do because his prognosis was short was get an early payout. And that what Chris could then do with that was that he could then have a say in what happened with the money. And I just think he actually really knew how to manipulate people because he knew that that would have been important to Chris, you know, that that it would have given Chris a sense of peace and a sense of, okay, I can't be here for Karen and I can't be here for my children. I can't be here for my stepchildren. I want to make sure that actually everybody is taken care of and everybody's okay. And so we applied for an early payout of the insurance. Barry had certainly found Chris's weakness, his family, and All he had to do was apply pressure. Here's Dr. Das with his take on it. Most people have some sort of weakness or something that they're very passionate about. So if Mm -hmm. you're crafty enough to find out what that thing is and you can find somebody that will be willing to almost freeze reality to to believe what they want to believe, right? Money is the most obvious one, but if somebody wants fame, I think that would be another good Mm -hmm. example. 
and you believe them because first of all why wouldn't you and secondly because it's exactly what you want to hear and what you've been looking mm. for uh, mm-hmm. for, for months so when the opportunity finally shows itself and you're primed to be conned I think and it's different things for different people I think. Now getting an early payout on a life insurance policy isn't a given. Chris and Karen they had a few hoops to jump through but it won't surprise you to learn that Barry volunteered as tribute to sort the paperwork. Papers went to the oncologist radiologist who both signed the paperwork saying that Chris would die within an, under a year. I actually didn't think we'd get the early payout because I thought we had one to two years. And like under one year and one to two years is really different. And I know that doesn't sound like it's really different, but it is really different. Like it's one to two years is like 53 to 104 weeks, whereas the rest is under 52. So when we went to Mercy Hospital to see them at the clinic the night before chemotherapy and we picked up the papers and I took them out to the car and I opened them up. I remember reading them and I actually remember sitting in the street and crying because they said that they didn't believe that he would live a year. And then he decided that actually it was just that they were doing it because they wanted him to get the money. <laughs> so he was like, well, we'll get the money and that'll be fine and then I can do what I want to do. And he, and he kind of went with that. So the life insurance was actually paid out really quickly from diagnosis of like May, literally he was paid out on the 22nd of June. It was fast. He was paid out the full amount. It was a Friday night and Barry was at our house the following week with the plan of what we could do and how Chris could then protect his family. Barry completely reinforced investing the money. And so that's what they did. Barry now had the inheritance, the trauma payout, the superannuation, the trip of a lifetime fund that would never be, and now the life insurance policy. There was no stone left unturned. He now had a full house. Well, almost, because Chris did allow himself just one, one indulgence with that insurance money. He decided that part of what he wanted to do with that money was to buy a car that he loved. And he he did. He and his son Danny went off. They bought him the most beautiful, completely extravagantly beautiful Audi ever. So that was the only thing Chris did with his life insurance money. The rest of it, he invested with Barry. And it was now a life-changing pot of money. Chris and Karen could have taken some of it and done their trip of a lifetime in Europe. Heck, there was enough to take all eight children with them and leave hardly a dent in the portfolio. But time wasn't on Chris's side. Fast forward to February of 2019. Chris was recovering from a surgery on his spine. The radiation had caused his spine to deteriorate so much that they were worried he would be left paralysed. So we had the surgery in December and then while he was off the chemotherapy, the cancer grew very quickly. And I emailed Barry probably that next week and said I needed to talk to him. Barry didn't reply to my email. And then I sent him another one and he didn't reply to that. And I remember actually nutting. I didn't nut off at Chris very often, but I think I was probably a little bit stressed. I nutted off at Chris and said, I don't understand why he's not replying to me. Why is he not replying to me? So at any rate, Barry ended up coming up after we knew Chris was dying and he'd stopped treatment. And he sat on the couch in my lounge right beside Chris and he cried with him as Chris told him he was dying and talked to him about how he would make sure that the family were looked after and that... 
everybody would be okay and that he would make sure I was okay after Chris was gone. I don't think I'm the only one trying to fathom just how next level it is to sit beside a dying man and flat out lie. In fact, now, almost four years on, Karen still struggles to process it. And I look back on it, I actually think he actually was genuinely sad. I think that he probably felt really sad that actually he was this really nice human being that he kind of liked. And like, Chris was younger than Barry. And this guy he was sitting beside was going to die. I don't think he's completely heartless. And like, I know that people would say that I'm maybe naive with that, but I do think that there is some level of, I don't, I don't I, you would have to be a freaking terrible human being. Like, you know, at the end of the day, how much of that, even when we're inhumane, is still human? It's such a great question. How much of us, when we are inhuman, is still human? It's definitely one for Dr. Das. I think if he saw it, so if we were witnessing him at that moment next to a dying friend who had esophageal cancer, I think it would come across as very real. I yeah. think that it, even the best psychiatrist in the world, which I'm not, uh, would not be able to really, <laughs> really be able to differentiate that because it's it's all internal. In fact, you could even go further to say that, and again, I'm not trying to excuse any of his actions, but it's some people, especially people who are good at conning other people, can con themselves to a degree, so they're able to compartmentalise their guilt from their compassion. So I guess what I'm trying to mm. say in a long-winded way is he might have had a degree of empathy at the time for his friend dying, even though deep down he knew he was going to rip his wife off. He just was able to split that more than you or I or an, um, a normal person could do. I mean, the other thing that I haven't really said about Barry's, and, and I'm, I'm loath to overuse this phrase because it gets overused so much, especially by psychiatrists such as myself, uh, is psychopath. So as you probably know, a psychopath is not necessarily associated with violence. It's somebody who lacks empathy, doesn't learn from their mistakes, acts impulsively, uh, acts aggressively, doesn't care about the rights of others, uh, doesn't care about the law. So it's all those things, but they're also quite charming and manipulative. So I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. I remember Chris saying to me, you know, like at some point before he died, he said, you'll be okay. He was so incredibly proud and happy and and actually just completely at peace with the fact that he had made this plan that was going to be his legacy for his, his family. As the New Zealand summer turned to autumn, Chris filled his days with as much joy as his body would allow, making the most of time with loved ones and, of course, his beloved car. Chris loved that car to the point that the day when he went to the hospice to die, he told me he didn't want to go in an ambulance. Could I take him in the arty? He was pretty sick, but his son and one of our best friends came and carried him out of the house and put him in the car in that arty and I drove him to the beach so he could see the beach for one last time and I drove him to the hospice. Even up to the day before Karen drove Chris down the driveway one last time, she was in denial that Chris was running out of time. So she was trying to clear space in the bedroom for all the medical gear that she thought she would be using for longer than what turned out to be only one more day before Chris went to the hospice, which is when she found Barry's book of inspiring quotes. And in a bid to carve out some more space, she emailed Barry to return them. As you would expect, the portfolio and money was at the time not even a blip on Karen's radar, but money was always on Barry's radar. And he responded with something akin to, 
Hey, Karen, don't worry about the portfolio. It's one less thing you need to worry about. A problem shared is a problem halved. Oh, and by the way, keep the books of inspirational quotes. Now, that's not a direct quote, but you get the gist. And so it was that only four days after that conversation, Chris passed away peacefully and surrounded by his loving family. Chris died on the Sunday, and then on the Tuesday, Barry messaged and said that he would like to attend the funeral. When was it? I was like, what's on Wednesday? But he was away, so he couldn't. He said that he would catch up when he was back. I was like, that's fine. I think it's probably a good time to point out that it's very normal in New Zealand for a funeral to be soon after a passing. In Chris's case, his private send-off was on Wednesday, and for context, that was three days after he had died. Chris died believing that his his wife, his children, his grandchildren that were to come were all taken care of. He had left significant legacy of financial support to me and to the children and to our grandchildren. For Karen, it had been the worst week of her life, but there was no escaping it. Time to put one foot in front of the other, knowing that things could not possibly get worse. And so that's exactly what she was doing on the Friday, two days after the funeral. Two days. Because rubbish day waits for no one. And you have to get the wheelie bin down in the morning. So I got dressed and I was taking the wheelie bin through the gate and my phone rang. And it was my friend Linda. And she said, have you seen the front page of the paper? And I said, no. She said, I need you to sit down. She told me that Barry was in the paper and he was under investigation by the SFO that he'd been raided. I was just like, I don't even know what to do with this. I'm home alone. I don't know what to do. I literally have just buried my husband. I've just paid for a funeral. Unbelievably, thanks to Barry Clue, things were about to get even worse for Karen. On Chris's tribute page, it reads, Much-loved husband, soulmate and best friend of Karen, a dearly loved, amazing dad and stepdad. He leaves a lasting legacy. In one week, I lost two really big things in my world. And actually, if I had to pick between either of them, I would pick Chris a million times. So I am so incredibly glad that Chris never knew. Something is creeping in, don't follow it down. Coming up. In Clueless, the long con. I believe there was $900,000. This statement showed there was 600 and something. Absolutely shell-shocked. The future flashed before your eyes. I remember rang our lawyer. She said, surely you'll be okay. All your dreams taken from you in one moment. Don't forget to subscribe to Clueless, the long con, so you'll never miss an episode. This is an independently made podcast. You can find out more on Instagram at Podcast. That's con with an N. Please support the podcast with a five-star review, a share on social media, or even go old school and tell a mate on a dog walk to have a search for Clueless the Long Con wherever they listen to their podcasts. That's Clueless spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. Something is creeping in. Don't follow it down Something is creepy
If you're a true crime fan, then this is for you. CrimeCon, the world's number one true crime event, is coming back to London on Saturday the 11th and Sunday the 12th of June 2022 and launching in Glasgow on Saturday the 10th of September 2022. Get inside the mind of serial killers and psychopaths. Learn from leading criminologists. Hear from the families and survivors. Meet your favourite true crime podcasters. Immerse yourself in forensic evidence and delve deeper into unsolved crimes. CrimeCon is the ultimate true crime weekend, partnered by CBS Reality, the expert-led true crime TV channel. I will be at all crime cons this year, Las Vegas, Glasgow, London, you name it, I will be there. So do come and join us, quote, see the C, that's C for con, the C for con, for your special 10% discount. Limited tickets are on sale now. For more information, visit crimecon.co.uk. Welcome to the Bravery Academy. My name is Emma Ferris and I'm your host. This podcast is crafted to share the stories of courageous individuals who have overcome adversity and found the courage to live their best lives. We'll explore the science of well-being, courage and connection and interview top thought leaders, game changers and survivors. And it's from these stories that we learn what resilience is, how to heal, how to recover and how to be brave. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.